0: This week I'm going to talk about SpriteKit. Yay! <laughs> Have you ever used SpriteKit for anything?
1: Uh, no, well? but I've actually been pretty interested in SpriteKit.
0: Yeah, well, it, it it always sounded pretty interesting when Apple first introduced it about a year ago. So, but I yeah, I've never had a reason to look into it until recently. Now it's SpriteKit, unlike UIKit and AppKit. It's two words. Mm. Now I am not a games. Developer, I don't even play that many games, so why would I be using Spracket? Well, I'm using it for for my side project, and the, to, to understand why I'm using it, you have to go out to another application that was built relatively recently, which was which was a game, which is Letterpress by Lauren Brichter, uh-huh. and I guess I guess not everyone knows this, but he. Wrote that UI using OpenGL from what I remember him talking about in the yep. various interviews that he had. At yeah, the time that was my impression. It. Yeah. And so he put this out in late 2012. Now, what I would be curious about is if, and so, you know, that's a decent amount of work to go down to the OpenGL level mm-hmm. to do just what's UI. I mean, Letterpress is a game, but it's not a, a shoot 'em up. It could have been done using regular UI kit. Stuff, but he had a lot of animation in it, that sort of thing. And he, I think he specifically mentioned that he wanted it for uh, the smoothness of the UI. I would be curious if he would have been able to implement that using SpriteKit now. Now, again, he introduced it before SpriteKit was announced, so he wouldn't have been able to use it then. Would it have been as smooth? Would it have been as, as well optimized? I guess, uh, I guess we wouldn't know. The SpriteKit. APIs are pretty high level, are very high level, considering much high, higher level than OpenGL. And they follow a couple of Apple patterns. So the first pattern is that it's the third visual object hierarchy that I know of huh. in in iOS. So you talk about UI view and then a CA layer uh-huh. as the second one. Now, of course, in, in iOS, those two came about at the same time. right? But I consider UI view to be the spiritual descendant of NS view, and they introduced the, the core animation later on than, than views in OS 10. So, mm-hmm. and then of course the third one being SK node or the, the spring kit node hierarchy. So it's a tree structures, there's containment and there's variable leaf node types. So an SK node can contain other SK nodes uh, there are various subclasses of SKNode for specific things. There's a label class. There's a sprite class for images. Now, the API here is much simpler than the CA layer or the UI view APIs. I'm curious whether it will get more complicated and gnarly like the others kind of have. <laughs> CA layer is not quite so bad yet. Of course, UI view is, is pretty horrendous
1: uh-huh.
0: at this point. Now, it reuses a lot of Cocoa patterns and Cocoa classes. It uses the... Uh, core graphics, uh, primitives, the CG point, CG rect. It uses, um, what else does it use? A variety of other things. So I would say that if Android was like moving to France, Sprite kit, well, Sprite kit is like moving to Brooklyn. <laughs> so now the, the basic idea is, is a node. You can change various things about it. You can change its position, its size, its color, its rotation, it's scale and alpha. I think that's it. Now, this is a 2D API, so it doesn't have the ability to do 3D transformations to the, to the content. Uh-huh. And you can apply actions that change these things over time in, in groups or in sequences uh, uh, all at once or, or one after another. Now, there's a shape node. And the shape node, since I'm not actually making a, a game, I'm making something that's more like letterpress. The shape node might be something that I would be able to use more of in my, in my code because I'm not necessarily putting a lot of pictures into it directly. But the docs say that you should really stick to images for performance. And they call them textures, which I guess is kind of gamer speak. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, they're, they're just images. They're really just images. But, okay, they're textures. Because I think of textures when I think of that as something that you kind of stretch over a surface.
1: Well, I think that's, that's kind of why they... It, with OpenGL, it, it, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. why they call them Because the idea is like right. you, you know, have you have a metal ball or something, and you want to put, make it look all chromy on there, or, right. you know, yeah. So it is actually a texture, but in like two D, when you using OpenGL as a two D API, you just kind of think of them as ah, pictures because yep. they're only two D. Right.
0: What's interesting there is that apparently the shape node, which is very simple and should be a lot like the way you use shapes in in uh, Core Graphics or in UI, CAT, has a lot of problems it's very buggy and so there's a blog post called sk shape node you are dead to me by sean moore that was put out in march of this year and i'll put a link to it in the show notes where he talks about there are a lot of glitches and artifacts that happen when you try to use it for what it's designed to be used for and he says it might be fixed in ios 8 but he hasn't uh, he hasn't updated the post yet for that but okay if you are going to use images are those optimized? And again, that would be the sort of the what I'm going to call the letterpress question is can you get the kind of optimization out of this API that you can get out of out of uh, using OpenGL directly? Are they able, using the ways that you could use this API to funnel this stuff directly down to the graphics card so that it's a lot faster? Mm-hmm. Or is it more like something like core data, where the API is, is high-level enough and general enough that you could do all these complex, crazy things, but then they immediately tell you, well, don't do that. <laughs> don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Even though the high-level API makes it sound like you can use all that, well, don't do any of that. Only do the things which are directly correlated to the, to the low-level primitives, which I would consider to be pattern number two. That, that uh, If it follows it, that, that would be another Apple pattern that it goes back to. Another interesting aspect to this for me is... Currently, it's definitely based on OpenGL, but could they implement this based on Metal now? Now that they have Metal, and now that it's, it's kind of what they want people to be using for iOS development, would it still work as well? Is it a high enough, excuse me, high enough level API that it could be hosted on top of something different, or are there already some uh, some some uh, assumptions built in that are OpenGL based? So that's that's. Be interesting for me to find out that as well. Another interesting aspect of this is who's the audience for this? Now, it's obviously not me, because I'm not writing a game. If you listen to the WWDC 2013 or 2014 presentations about OpenGL, they're very specific about being targeted towards gamers. I think one of the, one of the ones, so there's an intro uh, session, and then there's one that's all about getting the, the assets through the pipeline. Right, which is very much a gamer problem. You know, I'm not going to have the same issue with lots of designers give me lots of lots of assets for a game. Uh, but you know, but it's got a lot of it's got a lot of stuff in it, um, and they're adding a bunch more that 2014 session, and just it just listed a whole bunch of new stuff. Like, so it, it, if I thought, well, this is a very simple API that does simple things, well, they're adding more to it in ways that that keep it from being that simple and that kind of pure anymore. The specific example that I looked at was in 2014 session was shaders, which seemed to be completely and utterly tied to OpenGL concepts. They're basically Mm -hmm. using OpenGL shaders and saying, here, use these in SpriteKit. And if they do that and you can't use those same shaders in Metal, then are they forever tying themselves to OpenGL? It seems a little interesting that the same year that they introduce metal is the year they tie Sprite to OpenGL.
1: Mm-hmm. Right? Right.
0: So I guess we'll see how that works out. I don't know this stuff well enough to know whether that's the case. Mm-hmm. I
1: always wonder if it's like a race condition type thing where one team was working on one thing and and metal came out asynchronously.
0: It it could very well be um you know they're not they're not magicians. They 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 can't keep track of everything at once. So that definitely could happen. Now Another, the third pattern that I wanted to mention briefly was that this feels a lot like the iCloud APIs from Apple in the sense that they're inventing their own wheel again. They're inventing an entirely new set of APIs to make games with, which you can't use for things like cross-platform development. Right. And I would think that virtually any game that's trying to, to or excuse me, any company that's trying to make a, a complex game, a game that they want to make a lot of money at, they can't just tie themselves to iOS. So, so who's the audience for this? Is it really just instead of being SpriteKit, is this really Flappy Kit? You know. <laughs> and and there's actually a blog post. I'll put i put the blog post in there. Uh, create Flappy Bird in three days using SpriteKit. Mm-hmm. Actually, three days, really. Yeah, yeah. But. I mean, I guess this stuff can get can get kind of complicated. But it you know, it's the idea that you just create these little crappy games that are just for casual players uh-huh. to do this because you're not gonna get the real the real giant games to do it. And is that why not a whole lot of people seem to be talking about it? Because I really just don't see when I mention Sprite Kit issues in my Twitter account, there are not any responses. When I search on SpriteKit, I find a lot of those sort of initial blog posts that people always write with new Apple technologies where they say, here's an introduction to such and such, and here's a simple little app that does some stupid little thing. But there's never that much more than that in what I can find. Now, that brings up a a quote. I don't have the exact quote um, from a website called Making Light, which is actually a really interesting website by uh, Teresa and Patrick uh, Nielsen-Hayden, I believe Uh that's the name. That's Uh the way to pronounce it. where they say, well, if you, if your first thought is there's nobody talking about this, there's always going to be some vibrant community just out of your site where they've been talking about it for years and arguing about it and everything like that. Uh So maybe there is, and maybe I just can't find it, but it does seem like if there is a place where people are talking about it, it's disconnected from the iOS developers that I generally use, that I generally uh, hear about and and am involved with. So I'm, it, I'm making some progress in the stuff that I'm working on. I'm actually finding some interesting bugs. Um, there's one. So I said that they, they're kind of uh, reinventing, you know, a third visual object hierarchy. Well, they have to reinvent certain concepts with that as well. So slicing of images yeah. is something that they have increased support for in UIKit. They've, there's a separate, a different API for this in SpriteKit mm-hmm. that uses something called a center rect. And if you specify the center rect and then stretch the image, then it's like having those end caps. Mm. That you know the the end caps are are stay the same, and everything in the middle gets stretched. Works pretty well, except if you set the alpha of such a sprite to zero, then it blows up during rendering. And so it's not like well you set it to zero and it blows up right away. So it it it, uh, follows directly from the call to the alpha property, but it blows up. You know, the next time you try to render it, and so I actually have a bug about this, where for a test image I use a, 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 a cat that I stretch taller and wider. So of course I call it long, long cat, right? <sighs> Boy, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. I was pretty, I was pretty pleased about that one. Um, so I'll put a, a link to that to that bug in the show notes. It'll be interesting to see whether they whether they get to it uh, quickly whether bugs like this are in fact have much priority for apple it does seem like they're putting effort into sprite Cut, but again the exact the, the the end result what they're really going for with this is still is still a little bit of a mystery to me but i'm going to keep working on it it's, it's working okay so far again there there are there are bugs there are things you have to get used to new ways of thinking about things uh tricks tips and tricks and I think it's not necessarily any worse than any of the other APIs that I've been using from Apple. But it is interesting to kind of dive into that again. <laughs> you know, again, it's Brooklyn. Um, it's, it's the U.S., but it's still, you know, Brooklyn. I have to get <laughs> used to the local restaurants. Um, uh, and it's the same pattern of where the restaurants are as if I was living in another city, but still new stuff to get used to. So, so yeah. So we'll see how it goes. I yes, was wondering
1: so- what type of trash you'd talk about Brooklyn there, but you kept a pretty high there. <laughs>
0: I've, I've never actually lived in Brooklyn, so I've never lived in France, so <laughs> pattern holds.
1: You have many places that you can trash that you've never lived. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, so I was at the uh, Cocoa Heads uh, Portland meetup last year. I'm trying to remember the name of the guy. It was, it was a quick search while while uh, you were talking, but uh, I couldn't bring it up rapidly enough. And he was using SpriteKit as his UI. Yeah. And, oh, good. And- yeah. Yeah, yeah, for his total UI and his UI was a, a music one, and I think he seemed to remember like you pluck strings and stuff like that. It had some interesting facets to it, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it seemed actually pretty feasible to use it as a full blown UI if you want to. And you know, you, of course, you know games involve like touching and, and stuff like that. So it would, of course, you have to, or you have to do the hit testing and all these other things that we kind of associate with a UI view, and I just to a lesser extent uh, core animation, but. Uh, is so your stuff is it a lot of what you mentioned about SpriteKit kind of reminded me a lot of Core Animation. Um, is it yep. because it also has kind of the UI aspects to it that you're using it versus Core Animation?
0: I'm I'm using it for uh, I'm switching to it for performance reasons. Mm-hmm. So that's really the big thing. No, uh, the, what I'm implementing could be done entirely using Core Animation. Mm-hmm. And, and various UI kit things. No, this is entirely, I want, I want to make it faster. I want to make it more capable of doing what, what I want it to do. Okay. Okay. So, then, yeah.
1: yeah. I'll move on to my topic then, which is using Macs as servers. Um, uh-huh. So the Mac uh, has a long history of being used as servers, maybe kind of against the grain type stuff, but <laughs> it it works um, surprisingly well uh, so Macs were kind of like I don't know, they were kinda of like the original, I would say, like network attached storage devices as we know them now. Now, they're you know, expensive as all get out, but but because of the the wonders of Apple Talk and, and mm-hmm. that it yeah. was the easy service discovery, that there, were, there was this like these legion of uh people who would like buy SE thirties and just kind of put them in the closet, plug them in, and they would just run for a decade. <laughs> you know <laughs> that uh, this is you know back when hard drives were smaller and much more expensive. But Apple, well, even, even to this day, Apple still like does his own testing of its hard drives. And you know, if I don't know if you've noticed, but if you actually like, um, you know, well, I guess we don't have very many hard drives anymore. But I can like, I guess the fusion drives and the iMac we still have those. But if you actually like, crack open an iMac today. You're gonna. You won't find this like you know the cheapest hard drive de jure, uh what was available on the spot market or hard drives that day that they went to manufacturing that that machine. Uh, it will actually have a little. Uh, usually, even has like a little Apple logo on the on the hard drive, and Apple essentially has like the basically tests uh, certain classes of drives from manufacturers, and will even put their custom ROM on there, um, which you know, is definitely above and beyond what like normal like PC manufacturers will do. But back then, um like even though like Max didn't really have RAID built in, it didn't really seem to matter because a hard drive failure was pretty rare um considering because and uh and then you had things like retrospect. So um so I, I've been using Max's servers for a very long time. Uh but in terms of using them as internet servers, that's uh I would say I've been doing that since nineteen ninety eight maybe around there. And I, it was funny because I kind of got started with, like, Perl CGI and stuff like that. And along sure. at the same time as I kind of, like, used Macs as a web server. So I definitely, it wasn't one of these things where I was just kind of ignorant of, like, Unix things. Um, it's just I had, had Macs around and I had Unix around, and so I used both. And I actually used uh, Mac HTTP, uh the web server for the Mac, by Chuck Schotton. Uh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, and it ended up being uh, commercialized as WebStar, and now it's now it's discontinued. But I uh, used that, and it was it was kind of uh, cool for its day because um, it was really resilient to a lot of the attacks that uh, Unix servers were built to. Uh, famously, the U.S. Army switched to using uh, Macs as their <laughs> web server to avoid hack and public hacks. Uh, this because, not because the, the, they couldn't be exploited, but uh because the way to exploit things uh, w- was really different from the standard tool set that you need f- for uh, you know, uh, uh, web servers like Apache.
0: Right, uh, nobody bothered.
1: <laughs> pretty much. Although it's kind of weird because uh, due to the memory model of the classic Mac OS, you know, the... We got address ba- address space layout ra- randomization on OS X. I want to say in ten point four, maybe even ten point five, and um, it's funny because like the classic Mac OS, how it worked with kind of its single address space, and, <laughs> and you basically got address space randomization, layout randomization from the get go for the classic Mac OS. Because this, you know, this one little. Handle being allocated differently and beginning, uh, 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 you know, you launch one app and maybe it leaks a handle, a system handle, and then you launch another app. You never knew where things were in the Mac memory, <laughs> and, and with pervasive handles, the things were all over the place. So it was, it was kind of had that kind of built-in type stuff. Oh, t- entirely accident, but it's still kind of interesting. Of course, OS X has Unix underneath, and uh, back in the day, uh, uh, OS X even shipped with uh, Apache. It still ships with Apache built-in, but it's, it used to be a checkbox, turn it on. So now, uh, and of course it has like, you know, I, I want to say postfix underneath, but maybe not postfix. has some sort of mail server underneath thing. Of course, Apple has gone much more away from the kind of the geeky side of things. But yeah, so Apache, I'm pretty sure it's still sitting there, just waiting to, to activate. Uh, I personally uh, install and run Nginx for performance reasons, and it pr- also because I use... Uh, NGINX primarily as an HTTP router so I'll t- talk so I've been using Macs as internet servers for a very long time and it's evolved from the Mac HTTP classic Mac OS stuff into now uh, how I'm pretty much set up is and how where educatesshow.com lives is that it's uh, on a Mac mini uh, in uh, it's a Mac Mini colo or stuff like that and it's uh <coughs> it I run, I think I'm on 10.8 or something like that. I Still need to upgrade to 10.9 on that, you know. But it's kind of like if it ain't broke, don't fix it type stuff. And I then I run a, a bunch of VMs on top of that that actually provide the services I want. And uh, th- and so show.com actually lives inside a VMware Fusion instance. And this and that's uh, running uh, Ubuntu Server LTS. And the benefit for this is that you, it almost strikes, I would say it may strike you as maybe the worst of both worlds because <laughs> you don't have, like, the hardcore Unixy y nature kind of down to the metal of running Linux pure. Um, you have all this Mac stuff you have to deal with. Um, and uh, But on the other hand, um, it's been, in terms of from a, I approach this not as a in, a, in terms of a pure performance standpoint, I view it as where I'm trying to optimize I'm trying to optimize my time as a sysadmin, where that is. I'm trying Mm -hmm. to not sysadmin as much as I possibly can, and it turns out that running um, essentially uh, like Apache or Nginx under a VM in VMware goes a long way in terms of turning these these internet servers into appliances. That you have this really nice GUI in uh, VMware Fusion that has all these snapshotting features. And so before I'm about to do some update, or basically you know, almost any update, I take a snapshot. And so when things blow up, as <laughs> they so do way too often, I'm like, okay, let's revert to snapshot, and I guess I won't do that anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, it Also, um, it the backup story is uh, pretty nice in terms of... I I use uh, SuperDuper on this on these machines, whether well, this machine in particular, but in general, and SuperDuper can run a backup can run a script that I use to uh, a shell script that I end up using to essentially tell VMware to take a backup snapshot of false drives, and this is something that I had to, had to do manually. Um, Back in the day, and I'm still using it just because it works, and I know it. And Fire is exactly when I need to. I know I have a coherent snapshot right before Duper kicks off. But on the other hand, uh, uh, modern ver- versions of VMware Fusion have an auto-protect feature that basically does this for you. So I don't know if I would do it again. Um, there's I have a blog posting on this called Backing Up Live VMware Fusion Virtual Machines, and I'll link to it. But... Uh, I don't know if you remember this going down, but Jeff Jeff Atwood has that uh, has the his blog coding horror, and he had his a blog in a VM, and he he bas- it was a live VM, and uh, it like he, there was some sort of like you know a power outage or something that caused the machine to go down hard and then come back up and his VM was corrupted, and it turned out that he essentially had... You have to take additional steps if you want a coherent snapshot of your your VM, and he didn't have that, and so he ended up, like, losing his entire... entire, all his content, and he had to, like, resurrect it it from the kindness of strangers and archive.org. And so, as... uh, you know, educationshow.com... Is, oh, I'm sorry. Show is very much a fan of Archive, as we've linked to it <laughs> numerous times, the Wayback Machine, but it's, you don't want to be in that position. It's great there, but that's. It's, I wouldn't classify that as a real backup. Um, in terms of running Macs, it, as, uh, in terms of servers, it's really convenient, and uh, if you're willing to kind of... If you know how to run Macs and, and how to run uh, Linux or free bestie, but i tend to just use Linux for this type of stuff it's it's the the cognitive overhead actually is i find it essentially non-existent so it's really convenient um the downside is that apple definitely is not in really the server business uh, osn server is is really a hunk of junk and you should try to avoid it as much as you can <laughs> and unfortunately with like the Mac mini server is it actually acquires OS 10 server. Now OS 10 server is pretty much nowadays, this kind of an additional installation on top of OS 10. Um, and it adds a few, few services that you can leave all off. So all it is, is wasting space in your hard drive. <laughs> but um, other, than, but that said, it's, it's never been optimized. And as you can, and you can tell this from the fact that I haven't yeah. upgraded from 10.8 to 10.9 yet. Um, it's, it's not optimized for this stuff. Cause I don't, I don't trust it not breaking, like, VMware on me and stuff like that. Um, so I, if I, starting today, if I had to do it all, so I've had, you know, what, over a decade of good experiences running Macs uh, in in different scenarios as into the servers. But I would say if starting today, um, I'm pretty excited by there's this uh, new technology, which is actually not new at all, but it's kind of been kind of branded and kind of cobbled together called Docker. And Docker is uses an older feature that's available on Linux called Linux containers. And you can va- basically uh, v- think of Linux containers as chroot on steroids. Well, chroot is the kind of like how in sandboxing, how we can point on Mac and iOS, you can say the root of the hard drive is no longer the root of the hard drive. Now the root of the hard drive you see process is over in this directory, and you can't climb out of it. So that's chroot, that's the underlying Unix functionality. And imagine if you could also do that with kind of like networking stuff. And, and and you know, it's basically uh, sandboxes for Linux. And the Docker ends up putting a union file system on top of Linux as well. I think they were using like AUFS or something like that. Um, but then I don't think those patches were ever accepted in the mainline. There was some controversy about that, so. All I know is that uh, you used to have to like roll your own custom Linux kernel to support this type of stuff, but now there's workarounds, but maybe they're not as performant, but who knows? Who cares? But anyway, uh, look into it if you're actually interested in, into the nitty-gritty. All I, all I know is that you can use stock kernels now, and you can use Docker. And Docker uses these Linux containers to essentially make uh, much the same way that I'm running. Uh, so I, have, I did a tally before I came on the show. And I'm currently running 10 virtual machines. I have a, a virtual machine for my DNS server. I have a virtual machine for my other DNS server, because you always need two, right, um, you know, for mail, for various websites, for SAG websites, for edge cases. Although edge cases is all static, but I, I gave you SSH access to that one, and I don't trust you, so I put you in that sandbox. And it end up that... Um, <coughs> th- Virtual machines has, uh, all have their own co- uh, copy of Linux, and there's things they can not share and all that, uh, especially on the Mac. There, there's para-virtualization on Linux uh, with like Zen that does things where instead of running a stock Linux, you can one, run one that actually knows it's being virtualized. So it can it can be smarter about how it structures things and waste less resources. The nice thing about Linux containers and, and Docker, the kind of name brand type of Linux containers, is that uh, there is no secondary operating system. It's it's running. Uh, it's, you know, you're re- running processes as if they are have their own file system and all that. And it tends to be a lot more resource efficient. So much like uh, virtualization itself, instead of having to have ten boxes because you run want to run ten Linux, you want to run ten servers. You could then the it on want to virtualize it. Um, but you have to have you know, a lot of RAM in there and good I/O. Uh, that need, that, uh, the resource requirements goes down even more for things like Linux containers. So it works out pretty well there. And then on top of that, that I had another blog post in which I might be able to find again and link to, but I'm a big fan of uh, kind of like going with a very kind of stripped down uh, Linux distribution and then building up only the things you need um, uh, previously I was using the straight-up Debian for the stuff. Uh, Debian's upgrade paths have not been nearly as good as I had hoped through the years. Um, and so, and that's one of the reasons why I switched to Ubuntu uh, LTS, because they seem to have a more co- coherent upgrade path, but they have even they have issues. There is a new operating system out there called CoreOS. That's, of course, it's not really a new operating system. It's Linux repackaged in a certain way. But it's pretty much kind of designed for upgrades. I mentioned before how on... on OS on our current Mac Mini Colo Mini is that I just haven't upgraded the OS because I know it's a little bit problematic, and I have to watch out things. CoreOS Core OS is structured in a way that has separate partitions, and where it's basically designed for seamless upgrades. That it will it will always grab uh, the next copy and make it so that it's easy to jump ahead with the safety net in place. So basically, kind of stuff I had to structure manually previously. It assumes this type of uh, this type of technology, which is, you know, it, it seems pretty basic stuff, but it's, it's built in. It also assumes things like Docker so that if you want to run a rails app or, or a web a static website or database that you just throw those into, uh, into Docker containers and they live as multiple services on a single box. So as great as Macs have been through the years of running servers, I thinking that in the future, um, I was really waiting for uh, Docker to hit 1.0 and they did just I think late last year. So, I still have obviously a lot of stuff in flight that's all on my um previous type of type of uh deployment strategy here. But I'm looking forward to trying out the Docker Core, core, core OS stuff. Um probably the worst part of Core OS is that uh we I mentioned before on the eventual consistency stuff that the the JustBin test and it uses a technology called etcd which is an Etsy uh, basically Etsy is the uh, etc is the uh, configuring you know, in in the Unix hi- uh, file system hierarchy it's kind of like where you store certain types of configura- configuration files um, it for the etcd is a daemon that is basically a distributed type uh, server that provides configuration for systems and applications. And uh, the JustBin th- uh, test suite uh, has been extended it's, because it's essentially a distributed database. He modified it to say, okay, let's actually point it and this can this thing actually achieve what it claims. And it f- fared really poorly. So I think that might be a chink in the armor there with CoreOS. Um, supposedly they've been very – I haven't looked at this stuff in months, but it supposedly they're very uh, – responsive to the criticism and said so they, they can fix it but i as we've learned with distributed systems and eventual consistency, that this stuff is really hard and sometimes you pick the wrong abstractions up front and it ends up not working at all later and then you're kind of stuck because then you have to break the world to actually fix things uh, cough cough iCloud Cordata, but <laughs> it but um they, Mostly, it's, it seems pretty sane, and I wouldn't be surprised if it is isn't a fork that uses something else or discards or something like that. Uh, probably the m- most annoying thing about CoreOS is its version numbering. Uh, I think it's like on version uh, four hundred and forty-four, wow. and I I asked, I asked the guys like, you know, uh, you know what what's the deal with the version number? And it's the worst possible possible explanation. Apparently, the version number is the number of days since they've released. So it's been a little over a year. Oh, wow! <laughs> so every day they have a new version. I think that's <laughs> an amazingly bad idea, but there you go. Um, but worst case scenario, I mean, you could definitely use stuff, stuff like uh, a Docker containers. You don't have to be tied to this kind of this weird new OS Core, core OS. That is like I believe services like Lino just started supporting it, and maybe have to jump through some hoops to, to do it. But you don't have to use it. You can use Docker with things like Ubuntu LTS. I think even LTS. LTS tends to be kind of a the you know tried and true type uh, distribution for this type of stuff. The LTS stands for long term support, where it's. it's the idea that you'll be running this server for, what, three years, something like that, and this is, you're not just going to be on top of this thing trying to upgrade all the time that it's, it's meant for, it's kind of stable distribution, and yeah, so it's, it has, like everything, it's, it's not a total slam dunk story, but it looks really promising, and I'm looking, I'm actually kind of looking forward to the day where I can get rid of my, my Mac hardware, and have uh, the all the conveniences that i used to be able to cobble together piecemeal myself with uh, vmware fusion and, and so forth where i could have easy rollbacks uh offsite backups um that type of stuff and all built into a uh, basically really well supported distribution that kind of is built for this idea that you're trying to minimize your sysadmin time and when things go wrong
0: it's easier to recover from and that's it well so basically using using max As as servers, until something better comes along.
1: Yeah, and hopefully Docker, and maybe, or maybe with or without CoreOS, is finally the better thing.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Alrighty, so if that's it, that's it. We will see you next time.